T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hour number two is for you here on Home and Home. We're going to get to Kevin Millar and find out what happened in Major League Baseball postseason last night. It's brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Try ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. Reminder to follow us on Twitter at RDC Home and Home at RDC Sports. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL. He is at Matt Spiegel 670. That's S-P-I-E-G-E-L. Remember our show only five minutes of commercials per hour max because we want to max out the content that you get while you're going to work or at work or while you're working out or whatever the case may be. You can always check us out, whether that is on video or audio, radio.com app or radio.com slash home. Matt Spiegel filling in today for Dave Briggs, my normal co-host who is on assignment. And Matt, I got to be honest with you. I don't really know what that means on assignment, (laughs) but I've always wanted to say that. I've always wanted to say somebody's on assignment. And Dave's like day job is working for CNN from four to six a.m. So I think he's doing something for CNN today. So like, uh-huh. I feel I feel pretty comfortable saying he's on assignment today. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. And and, and as long as he's doing some research that's going to benefit this show when he comes back, I think that's what assignment essentially means. He's he's out there. He's doing work. And when he comes back, oh, he's going to be even better at this job because of the work he's doing right now. Yeah, so after Army, I'll be broadcasting the Army at Hawaii game um, after Thanksgiving, and I'm going to stay in Hawaii for a couple of days with my family, and so I'll be off home and home the first three or four days or whatever of that week. I I definitely will not be on assignment. I mean, I guess (laughs) I'm still on assignment by CBS because they assigned me to do that game. But there will be no assignments Monday, Tuesday, I, Wednesday after that game. That's for sure. I would argue that you'll be coming back refreshed, um, feeling replenished emotionally and energetically, and you will be a better talk show host for it, Ross. So the the definition of assignment stretches as needed, clearly. I like it. I like it. So um, I want to know whether or not you liked the Redskins press conference yesterday You know, here they are, the team I started my career with, the team I finished my career with, and they make the first in-season coaching change since North Turner back in 2000, and the first in-season coaching Mm. change of this 2019 NFL season. I guess before we even get to the press conference itself, Matt, I wanted to get your reaction to just the, the Redskins making the move with Jay Gruden this week. Well, they're such a bizarre mess. It's really, it's compelling 
how much of a mess they are. And I think we know why it goes all the way to the top with Daniel Snyder and now his lackey, Bruce Allen, who speaks. So Daniel does not have to. Um, Remember when they said in January that they were going to keep Jay Gruden, Bruce Allen said it's because we're close to being a playoff team. And I I guess he's going off when they were six and three with Alex Smith before he got hurt last year. But they are, they've been a mess for a long time. I think 42 and 75 in their last uh, 117 games. That is, that's, that's a gigantic sample in the NFL, isn't it? Um, that That's different regimes in terms of coaches. That's different quarterbacks, different offenses, all of that. And then just, just all the mess that has been there. There's lawsuits against ticket owners. There's the stuff with the name and the defense of themselves with that. There's, having to fire team executives and just the lack of a, of an overall big picture plan. So they're kind of a, a, a chaotic laughingstock going into the press conference in my opinion. And then, and then Bruce Allen obviously doesn't help them yesterday. No. And it's kind of a shame for me, Matt. So I played for five teams, right? So yeah. It's not like I only played for one team and like that's my team. And by the way, I grew up outside of Philadelphia as an Eagles fan and they weren't one of the five teams I played for. But I, I have a, a strong affinity for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, I have some affinity for all the teams I played for, but a strong affinity for the Bills because I played the most there and was there the longest, whatever. But for the Redskins, that's how I made the team in 2001 as an undrafted rookie free agent with Marty Schottenheimer. It's how my career ended in 2008 as well. So I I, I like the Redskins, and I, I like to see them do well because I know people that are there. I know a lot of their fans from living down there a couple different times. Not many guys start their career somewhere, go to four other teams, and then come back and finish their career in the same place. The erosion of the fan base down there, Matt, is uh. really sad to me. My my nephew, my sister lives in, in D.C. She lives in Bethesda. And my nephew is a Patriots fan. He likes Tom Brady. He's 10 or 11 or whatever. He doesn't like the Redskins. He liked was the he Redskins at the game? a couple years ago. What's that? Well, I'm sorry. Was he at the game? Because that was largely Patriots fans at that game, wasn't it? No, I don't think he was. I think he had a lacrosse game. Uh, so I don't think he went. But you're right. There, I mean, you go... I was there. I don't know if you were there, Matt. I was there for the Bears game. I was sidelined for Westwood one that night, the Monday night game. Half the crowd was Bears fans. Oh. I mean, half the crowd. It, it, and that's a Monday night game. It's it's really sad. Um, he was a Redskins fan till he was maybe nine. And a couple of years ago, he just kind of switched to the Patriots. It just wasn't fun being a Redskins fan for him. And what's weird about it is – the Bears have had some lean years. And correct me if I'm wrong. Have you ever seen any real erosion of the fan base? It seems like every Bears fan is still a Bears fan. Yeah, year three of John Fox was rough um, because nobody thought there should be more John Fox. And then that that team was so bad and, and, and there was – Mitch and not playing and it's Mike Glennon instead. And he was awful. So, and and there were, we were counting no shows 
that year and the year before, we were doing a weekly no-show count, and they climbed. I think it was that that year three. The no-shows climbed every single week over the past like six, the last six home games. But not to the extent that you're talking about, and it's because of the length of time. Um, and, and there, I'm sure there's a younger segment of our audience, Ross, who does not remember the stuff that 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 you or, or or I remember, and I think I'm the old man of this show, sadly, um, is that, you know, under Joe Gibbs, the Redskins were a hallmark of excellence and consistency, and they won in so many different ways with different quarterbacks. He's winning with, with Doug Williams, who's there now in the front office, and Jay Schrader, and Joe Theismann, and Mark Rippon. And during that time, I remember talking to people in that market the Redskins would lead the local news. It's Washington, where you've got local politics and national politics, obviously, and the Redskins would lead the news. So this is what a rotten owner can do from the top down, uh, if, if allowed to, uh, to just do his thing. And, and he has never hired someone and allowed them to do their job as a football guy, he's it's and he's he still hasn't. I, I I was confused by so many things in that press conference. But did Bruce Allen say that Bill Callahan has complete control of personnel decisions? And maybe he means just in terms of playing Dwayne Haskins or not. But when you say that your interim head coach suddenly has complete control of personnel decisions, and everybody knows that you, Bruce Allen, don't know what the hell you're doing, then it 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 gets. It, it just got more confusing yesterday for a franchise that's in a sad state. Well, there were several things that jumped out to me about it. Um, one was when Bruce Allen said they have a great culture. Oh. I, I think that's a tough thing to say with the erosion of the fan base, number one. And, and number two, I mean, if they have a great culture, how bad would they be if they had a bad culture? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean that that that's a bad sign. Um, look, I think we know what what it appears to be going on here, which is that Bruce Allen is to Daniel Snyder what Roger Goodell is in regards to the Redskins, what Roger Goodell is to all the NFL owners as it relates to the NFL. In other uh -huh. words, he's kind of. Bruce Allen is there, I think, to run the team and to take all of the negativity that people spew. They know they can't fire Daniel Snyder. So as long as Bruce Allen's there, you know, and he's his family has a background in politics, he's going to take the heat. He's going to be the one that people blame. And I think Daniel Snyder likes kind of having that that buffer, if you will. Just like the NFL owners, part of Roger Goodell's job description is to take all the venom for when he's really most of the time, Matt, just, just doing the owner's bidding with most of the stuff that Roger Goodell does. I think there's a through line here that connects to the Cleveland Browns, and, and that is ownership getting involved and, and creating a problematic situation. And I'm reminded of when... And I think you tweeted about it um, yesterday, Ross, that when Kyle Shanahan and Mike Pettin and Brian Hoyer are, are with a Browns team, 
and doing well. And then ownership steps in and says, nope, we need Johnny Mansell. You know, w- when you've got owners who step in and complicate things and and get in the way of what decent football people might do, then the decent football people don't even stand a chance. I mean, it, what what chance has Jay Gruden really had? And 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 obviously he's hired at the beginning because they think he can work with RG3. But it's, you know, what what it's difficult for good football people to get anything done when ownership medals and hires yes men to do their bidding and it uh it, it can get real ugly and stay ugly for a long time and i really think that the most concerning comment about the whole thing wasn't even from bruce allen it was from bill callahan the interim head coach talking about dwayne haskins and we'll talk about this more later but he said that right now Dwayne Haskins is not a candidate to start right now. So Devlin Hodges is going to start for the Steelers, but Dwayne Haskins isn't a candidate to start for the Redskins. And even more concerning is he says they need to develop a package of plays for Dwayne Haskins that he's comfortable with, that he knows are his before he's ready to start. In order to get his confidence up. What? I mean, what's he been doing the whole time? Did you not yeah. give him the playbook? Like, what are we talking about here? That, that's either a real bad look for the Redskins, a real bad look for Dwayne Haskins, or both. At any rate, Matt, it's not good. We'll get into that a little bit more a little bit later in the show because the Redskins are going to have to hire a new coach. And that new coach... Who knows? Some people are saying Mike Tomlin, Eric Bieniemy. Is it a college guy like an Urban Meyer or Lincoln Riley to try to get the most out of Dwayne Haskins? Maybe it's somebody that they find over at ZipRecruiter because hiring can be a slow process. Cafe El Toro COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company because he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. That's why he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates and you get them fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's really no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Tell you who we've hired, Matt. We have hired my guy, Kevin Mala. Of course, known for his time with the Red Sox, but he played for a bunch of teams. Does a terrific job, not only every time he comes on our show, but also on MLB Network. 
He probably has a hat on. That's my guess. He's probably about <laughs> to play golf. But I guess we'll find out in three seconds when they actually show me what it looks like. Yes! He's got a hat on and he's about to play golf. I love it. Hey. Kevin, are both of those are – you, are you about to play golf? Hey, I am. You know who's back in town. So all the boys that didn't make the playoffs are back in town. So we have Jake Arrieta. We have Clay Buckholtz. Lackeys are retired guys. So you know what? We have our little group. We get out there about 845 when we're done with this. And we go out there and play a little wolf, a little hammer. Hammer means you get to double the bet. If you hammer, it's a $2 hammer game, which means $2, you know, a man. And then if you hammer, then you can go to $4. If you birdie, it goes to 8 bucks. So just keep doubling the bet. It's a fun game. That is awesome. Uh, Kevin, I got Matt Spiegel uh, filling in for Dave with me today. Uh, Matt's a big baseball guy, so he's probably going to carry this segment. I guess I, my question for you, Kevin, <laughs> at least my first one, would, would yeah. just be, what what was the most significant thing or notable thing that happened? I mean, there was a bunch of games last night. It was really exciting. What which one and which which thing that happened last night stood out to you the most? Uh, to be honest with you, tenth inning, Acuna leads off with a double, and Albies can't get him to third base. Uh, you're looking at a scene that I think the Braves kind of gave a game away, even though it was a great game. Those series were unbelievable. I mean, the Adam Wainwright game. Uh, the Soroka game was tremendous where they each have a one hitter and a three hitter going into the ninth inning and the Braves squeaked one out there. But, you know, we were watching the game and there's little things because you can go through all of them. You know, you can sit back and go, wow, Houston really got beat up. Tampa's a better team than people think. It could be dangerous because it's hard to score on that team. Kevin Cash does such a great job of managing that club. And we kind of sit and lean back and go like, yep, Astros are going to the World Series. I mean, they're the best team. The Yankees and Astros are going to be a great series. But Tampa, you know, not so fast, not so fast. I know they got Verlander and Cole, but it's still a not so fast situation. The Cardinals and Braves series, I'm like, you know what? The Braves cost themselves one because you get the leadoff double from Acuna and you have a left-handed hitter in Ozzy Albies who can't get him over to third base. Who, whether he takes the bunt with him, he ends up popping up to short left field. I think the shortstop caught it. And then the Cardinals come back the next uh the next inning and you know they don't score the next inning the Carlos come back in 10th inning and get their job done and uh you know Molina ends up getting a sacrifice fly and they walk off you know the Braves which uh that series man that's it it's you can flip a coin that's been a great series Kevin and I I love the moment that you hit on because in these playoffs those kind of just simple, fundamental baseball plays, do your job, put the bat on the ball, hit it where you're supposed to, it ends up mattering so much. And as we think about the season overall, obviously, and you think about all slug and and and, and launch and, and the overall numbers of, of, a, of a player and a team, once the, the sample gets so small and you get in these games, you got to do stuff that, that matters in the moment, like Brett Gardner hitting it where Miguel, Miguel Sano vacated last night for the Yankees against the Twins, like Trey Turner hitting it to the right side to help Michael Taylor go first to third, and like the Braves not doing that. It's just, it's amazing how much you really have to be an all-around kind of bat control hitter every once in a while to do what needs to be done in these playoffs, uh, it, it, are, are the Braves good enough at those kind of basic fundamental skills 
to get past the Cardinals because this series has been nuts. Both bullpens screwing up and and different yeah. heroes all over the place. But are, are the Braves good enough overall uh, with the fundamentals to get to get past him in a, in a game five? Yeah, they're good enough. I mean, every every team's got weakness. You know, I think that's uh, uh, the, the great thing about the postseason. There's so many powerhouses, you know, and, and, and just not jumping situations. But, you know, you look at the, look, the Astros. You take Garrett Cole and Verlander out of the situation. Granky did not look good. I mean, Granky looked very, very average. He doesn't look like a Cy Young Award winner. I know he'll be better if he gets another chance. But, you know, he's pitching at 88, 87, a lot of change-ups, moving the baseball around. But that 95 is not there. Power plays in the postseason. You know, so I looked at that. I'm like, man, there's a weakness there. And there's a weakness when you're facing the Rays bullpen because they, they're all power. And you're not going to make a living off them. So it was like you saw the Rays kind of get away. You're like, okay, this this can get a little weird. I know they still got Verlander. I know they got to get back Garrett Cole, who seems like God this year. But it was interesting. You saw some holes. And then you look at the Braves, same type thing. You know, you see Acuna. You see Freddie Freeman. You see Josh Donaldson. But you sit back and you're like, there's some holes in that bullpen. You know, you don't feel 100% with Melanson. I know he's done a nice little job, but there's not a whole lot of velocity. It's just like a lot of curveballs and a lot there. You know, Mr. Green comes in, a little hanging slider, uh, you know, here and there. And they're good enough because they've won a lot of games. They won a division, but you could see if they're not playing their baseball game and they get into this battle, I think it favors the, the you know, the, the Cardinals because they have more velocity. They have, they have some holes, and Carlos Martinez has not been good at all for them. It's almost like, uh, you know, the focus sometimes not there with him. But it is definitely intriguing because every team's got the little weakness. They just try to kind of defend away from it. Kevin, I've been so impressed with Davey Martinez. I mean, all year, then those Nationals started out 12 games under 500 and then stay in the fight and that whole business and through the wild card. and, and, And now here they are. All the pressure in this series is back on the Dodgers. They're supposed to win it at least once, if not twice, during this crazy run that Andrew Friedman has put together. But now now, now you got to – Strasburg looms. The Dodgers postseason could be a failure again. And those Nationals just they, – they just don't quit ever. Uh, I'm impressed by them, aren't you? No doubt about it. Uh, the Dodgers, I think, the biggest pressure team. If we use that word pressure, you know, it, it, it always makes me kind of laugh when we say pressure because as a player – we don't have pressure. We feel the the excitement. That's what we're doing. You know, all the interviews and all the matchups and all the radio shows and all the TV shows. And then you go play baseball. But at the end of the day, that's what we do. Dodgers are a good team. They got their hands full, <laughs> you know. And I think that's what makes the postseason so great is that it's baseball. And you can sit back and, you know, cross your legs and go, okay. But all of a sudden you get a bad draw like a Strasburg. If his game's on, it doesn't matter how good the Dodgers are because he can shut the door, see you later. Their season's over. They'll be barbecuing quick. Uh, the, the, the Nats are a very scrappy club. End of May, they had the second worst, I think, record baseball. They were whatever, 28 games under 500. You're like, wow. And they pounded straight back. You know, they, they go 70-something and 30-something the next whatever game. And they had the second best record in baseball tied, I believe, with the Dodgers you know, from the end of May on. So this is, this is a ball club. When, when Mike Rizzo, their president, put this team together, you had the three-headed monster. You knew Scherzer, you knew Strasburg, and then you had Patrick Corbin. So you knew, like, okay, this is it. Offensively, they're going to compete. Soto turns into a man-child. Rendon's probably the MVP. 
Uh, you can flip a coin there. But their bullpen is not very good either. I just, down the stretch, it was like Doolittle and Hudson were the only two guys you kind of trusted, but it was kind of like, eh. The last few days, they played okay, and then you ended the postseason. I don't think Fernando Rodney needs to get any, you know, any more meaningless outs. Strickland's given up the most home runs we've ever seen in the history of postseason. So you know who not to give the ball to uh, for meaningless outs. But it's definitely going to be interesting. Obviously, Strasburg is the key. And if they get six-plus, seven innings with him, this could be a, a handful for your Los Angeles Dodger fans. Talking with my guy, Kevin Mala. Love talking with Kevin. He's about to golf every time he comes on our show. It's like part of his <laughs> daily last routine. Week. It's amazing. He's living I, – I, I love my life, but he's living a better one. I can just tell you. Um, but you, you got to explain this to me, Kevin, right? So, like, baseball, anything can happen. Baseball, you have a great year. You won 90 games, 95, whatever, right? How is – I saw the stat – where the last 13 postseason games, the Yankees have beaten the Twins. How is that possible? Because if it's postseason, the Twins are good. Like, they're in the postseason. How is that even possible in baseball? It's kind of like, you know, we were talking about Mark DeRosa, your former Ivy League friend there with all you guys that did a lot of good schoolwork and homework. <laughs> it, it, and let, let, let me just tell you, it doesn't make sense other than it's just a terrible draw for your twins because the twins are a good ball club. They truly are better than people give them credit for. Uh, you know, they hit a million home runs here. I think 307, eight home runs. They broke some kind of record. We got all the, they can match up offensively, if not better than anybody. You just, at the end of the day, people don't understand that the final six to nine outs, can you get those nine outs? Because they'll look great. Odorizzi looks great. He matched up right with the Yankees. You got a 2 nothing game. You got a 3-1 game. You got this. They're in the game. Okay, we got it. Rosario goes deep looking around, and we're still down 2-1. to one. But that, that offense versus the Twins' bullpen, it just didn't look good going into the series. You said if the Twins get out home run, homer the Yankees, they might have a chance. If Barrios gets in there and has an opportunity to get going and goes 5, 6, 7 innings and strikes out 10-12, to 12, you know, with the big right-handed bats and the nice slider, you're like, all right, game one, they can do it. But you saw what happens. It's like he leaves, we bring in XYZ, he can't get the job done, and then now it's a laser show. And you knew that going in. On paper, it didn't look good for the Twins. If they would have matched up with anybody else, they have an opportunity to get to advance, but then they're going to run the mighty Yankees. Some teams are like that. You know, it's like when you're playing, you know, in football. You just – the secondary doesn't match up with the five, you know, five wide and the slot receiver. And it's like, now we got problemos. That man brings problemos. Their, their bullpen for the twins is very average. They're a good ball club. I love Rocco Baldelli when he's done to this organization and brought a lot of happiness in St. Paul, Minnesota, Minneapolis. But the six foot five, hot, tall, rich Yanker, Yankees and Glaber Torres, by godly. We talk a little bit about our Aaron Judge. And Stanton going to play and blah, blah, blah. This kid's been over there, doesn't say a word. Wonderful ball player. And I know the Cubs got Chapman and you did the old trade and they won the World Series. But Glaber Torres, you look at some of these trades that go on, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates, you're looking at Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows for Chris Archer. The, 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 these are the things you sit back and you're like, front office guys, they sit back, cross their legs, and they have a job for 10 years. But some of the deals that go on, you're like, Wow, these were the players that, you know, the two players that went for XY, and then this is the kid that, oh, yeah, the Chapman deal, and then you sit back and you're like, this kid's got 40 home runs. 
hitting close to 300. And, and you see what an unbelievable bats that he gives in the pressure situation. So Yankees are just better than the Twins. All right, so Kev, explain this to me because I'm, I'm reading all this about how Granke's performance ruined the, uh, the, the pitching plans for the Astros, who everybody, yourself included, tells me is going to win the World Series easily. How big a deal is that? Like, how big a deal is it that the Astros' pitching plans are messed up now and that the Yankees get more rest and all that? Yeah, because it, 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 every game plan you go in, you say, like, okay, if we can get five, five innings is a lot these days. It's just the way the game is. They want five innings in the postseason because we could set up our guy and then maybe have a starter come in and pitch one inning because that's his throw day. So you kind of you know you get to the closer if we can get five outs, which is a ton in the postseason. But it'll mess you up. Also, you look up and one of your Cy Young Award winning starting pitchers that you know we just saw Justin Verlander dominate. We just saw Garrett Cole look like he's not human, and now we go into Zach Greinke. You're like, ah. Rays had no chance, and all of a sudden, three-run home run by Kevin Kiermaier, and Granky's throwing 87 miles an hour, which I felt like get off the couch and give you a nice competitive bat off him. It just looked weird. I mean, me and John Lack, we were watching him, looked at Lack, I'm like, it's something, that, I mean, this is the postseason. And I know Zach Granky's not a, a vocal guy, and I know he's a very nice and just kind of looking at the trees, but let me just let, let me, I'm going to need you to lock in. I'm going to need you to get fired up. I'm going to need you to lock in. I'm going to need you to grab your glove. I'm going to need you to look in the mound. But it was like, no, this is kind of like another change up. Oh, Kiermaier hit another. I mean, it was just kind of weird to me. It was just weird. So if you're AJ Hinch and you're sitting there and you're like, man, not only did he mess up my plans, but I'm going to need you to pick it up a tick. I'm going to need you to pick it up a tick and give me a little bit of the eye of the tiger. Hey, Kevin, I know you got to golf soon, and I'm, I'm worried about you financially because Jake Arrieta's got that Phillies money. Uh, Lackey's you. got that. It's, Lackey's got that. It's a problem. Right? Thank you so much. <laughs> Lackey's got that Red Sox money still yeah. around. I know. It's, it's, it's a ton. But um, here in Chicago, I'm fully expecting David Ross to come back and be the manager. I think that's the guy. <laughs> I understand why they're going to do it. And you know what? That guy, it reminds me of your role and uh, on, on those 2004 Red Sox, you know, that, that energy guy. But Ross also like got in people's faces here in a way that a lot of fans don't know. Like he, he made guys accountable, but was likable sure. as he did it, you know? And, and I wonder if when you're that guy as a player, you're a leader and you're likable, but you're demanding as a player – can you then be that guy as a manager with some of the same players in that clubhouse? What's the challenge going to be for Ross if he takes this gig? I think you just said it, right? As a player, we're easy to go in there and be clubhouse guys. You can yip and yap. You can meet the boys downstairs for an adult beverage after a game. We could talk it through in some underwear and some sweets with pizza boxes and talking stances. And, you know, you, there's no shield. There's no guard. I think the one thing that you have to understand, when you're the field manager, you're sitting back, there's a guard now. You can you can be the players coach, you can do the players manager, but you're still not you're still not in it with the boys as much as you think you are because it's just the way it is. You have more responsibility. You're talking to media every day. You got the front office, Theo and his cronies are coming down. You know, there's just a whole nother responsibility. You know every minor league scene. I know that's their job. They're just gonna hand you people that kind of play, but there's still a big scene. And David Ross, there's no one better out there, right? You sit back and you're like, you take him out of 16 team, and it's like yeah, the Cubs probably aren't going to win that World Series because the bench players and your backup catchers 
are other staff members. You know, there are other hitting coaches. There are other pitching coaches. And, you know, there's more roles than people think than just behind the baseball card, you know. And, uh, you know, David Ross, uh, being around him, if you haven't had a chance, it's, you know, he's an infectious personality, right? Like you said, it's the delivery on how to get on somebody. To get on somebody these days, it seems like kids are softer. It just seems like there's a fight. I didn't get as many likes as you think I did. I'm, I'm a little more popular than you. So it's a little bit different of a generation that we have to adapt in that me and Ross didn't grow up around social media when we were kids, and we didn't have that when we played. We had no cell phones. It was like, throw your cell phone in the locker. The wives and the kids, they know where you're at. And then you had you had boys club time, I like to call it. you playing cards. You had the hat on backwards. You're like, all right, who we got today? We got CC Sabathia on the mound. Cool. His, his video was going for an hour before the game. So you had a little bit of a, you know, there was like, we're talking baseball. We're doing this. Now you walk in. David Ross is going to figure out how to get, you know, Tom out of his locker staring at his phone to see how many likes he has on Instagram, you know, huh. or how many stories he has. Or there's a little bit of a different massaging, like, hey, you know, KB, Chris Bryant, how you feeling, buddy? Maybe I can't yell at him because I might lose him. But he knows that because he showered with him already, you know. But there's going to be that fine line of now I'm the manager. I'm not showering with you anymore because I have my own shower, so I can't throw shampoo on you. So it, <laughs> it'll be an interesting dynamic if he gets that job. But, I, I mean, listen, feel smart. And David Ross, I'm sure if he's ready and wants it, there's an opportunity there. If not, David Ross is great on TV. I love the makeup on that little bald head of his. And uh, he's been to the house. He loves the jet skis. I couldn't find him for three hours. He and his, you know, he just take off. But I'm happy for Rossi, all his success. Kevin, thanks for the time as always, man. Hit him straight. Boys club. See you guys. Thanks. <laughs> there you go. Kevin Millar. He is living the life, man. That's how you do it, Matt. You play yeah. a pro sport. He lives in Austin, Texas. I guess a lot of guys live down there and get together and golf. And, man, that that is the way to do it. The way to not do it is what the mm -hmm. Browns did last night. We'll talk Ugly. to Daryl Ryder. He does a terrific job covering the Browns for 92.3, the fan in Cleveland, our radio.com affiliate. When we come back here, it's Home and Home, a radio.com sports original. So where do the Cleveland Browns go from here after getting thrashed on Monday Night Football 31-3 by the San Francisco 49ers? Nobody better to talk to about it than our guy Daryl Ryder from the fan there in Cleveland, the Radio.com affiliate that everybody from Cleveland and in Cleveland listens to. Daryl's been covering the Browns for a long time. Nobody does a better job of it. You can and should check him out on Twitter. He's got one of the best handles out there. At right or wrong, F-A-N. R-U-I-T-E-R. -E I'm not going to spell wrong for you. If I have to spell wrong for you, you should probably stop listening and do something else with your life. Go back, take some classes. I don't know, do something else other than listen to the show. If you can't spell wrong, F-A-N. Uh, Daryl, it's Ross Tucker. I got Matt Spiegel from 670, the score in Chicago, with me today, filling in for Dave Briggs. And I'll just start with this, Daryl. How surprised were you by that game and that outcome last night? I, I was stunned. I Honestly, I couldn't believe it. I, I was uh, as surprised by that as uh, I was the week one loss to the Tennessee Titans that saw the Browns just absolutely get their doors blown off 
uh, in the fourth quarter. And in both of those games, uh, that football team looked like they wanted to be anywhere but uh, the football fields. So all around disappointing performance. They got beaten all phases of the game. And I say that even with Robbie Gold uh, missing three field goals. One of those was blocked, but just an awful night for the Browns uh, on national television. I guess the I guess the second question, the follow-up question, Daryl, would be what what's your biggest concern coming out of that game? I and mean, obviously there's a bunch of them. You said you were shocked by it. What's the single biggest concern coming out of it? Well, I have two concerns coming out of that uh, game. Number one, Freddie Kitchens. It was the first time, and, and I said this this morning on our uh, morning show with Ken and Anthony, it was the first time that I questioned Freddie Kitchens as the head coach of this football team for a couple of reasons. One, they waited till Sunday to travel, and I don't know too many teams that travel to the West Coast time zone the day before a game if they can help it. And the Browns had the luxury of leaving early because they got to play on Monday night. That's the first thing that maybe scratched my head. Uh, the second thing, Antonio Callaway coming off a of four game suspension. Uh, he was an integral part of that game plan early. Uh, I thought Freddie Kitchens did a poor job putting him in a position to be successful. Not only was he coming off the four game suspension, Ross, but he had a high ankle sprain midway through training camp and he missed the second half of training camp and the bulk of the preseason as well. So this is a guy that hadn't been on the field in eight weeks and all of a sudden you're building a game plan around this guy and he didn't and there were a couple times where he didn't know where to line up uh he looked confused out there and obviously he had the biggest physical mistake and that was uh, the would-be touchdown at the goal line that went off his hands and ended up getting intercepted and uh the 49ers were able to turn that into a touchdown and a 21 uh point lead so um you know and baker mayfield you know, he is not off to a good start. He's only completing uh, just under 55% of his passes. That is a tremendous drop-off from what we saw from him the second half of last season when he was completing nearly 70% of his passes. He's got twice as many interceptions to touchdowns this year. He's uh, been under duress. He doesn't seem to be reacting well to being under duress. Um, not bailing on either one. Uh, I still believe in Kitchen, still believe in uh, Mayfield, but boy, they have a lot of things they need to clean up to get this season on track. So you mentioned you were already on the radio there in Cleveland this morning. What are most of the callers saying? Like, what's the level of panic? Number one and number two, who's the who, who's the number one person in the firing line? My guess, Daryl, I've been doing this for a while now, is that it's Freddie Kitchens because. They're all kind of all in with Baker, so they're gonna they're gonna have put Kitchens on the firing line first before they really start to criticize Baker. But tell me, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I would love to tell you that you're wrong. <laughs> there there was some Baker Mayfield uh, hate this morning. That's a, I won't embarrass Browns fans uh, by by quoting some of the calls this morning, but. Um, I will say that it's been an interesting morning on 92.3 Fan with some of the calls that uh, Ken and Anthony got, uh, not only about Freddie Kitchens, but about Baker Mayfield, about Miles Garrett, uh, Odell Beckham. Uh, it's it's a tough morning in Cleveland, Ohio for Sports Talk Radio. All right, so here's here's the other question there then. Let's talk about Baker Mayfield not shaking hands with the 49ers at the pregame coin toss. I mean, I could do I could do a whole show on this, but I guess I'll just start <laughs> with what are you like? Forget anybody else, Daryl. What's your personal opinion as a guy that covers this team about him doing that? 
Baker has an edge to him. Um, he likes to pick fights with people. He likes picking fights with reporters. He likes picking fights with opponents. Um, he's, he's just very open, honest, candid about how he feels about any given topic. And, you know, from my perspective as a reporter, I respect that a lot. I really do, because there's nothing worse than having to go back to a media room and just have to write a bunch of coach speak. Um, so that, from that standpoint, I find it tough to criticize Baker in that regard for basically saying how he feels when he is asked questions. But I do think that there's some stuff that, that gets a, a, a little childish. And I would probably say that last night, I certainly understand why maybe the, the 49ers took that a little personally, because it is a, a courtesy thing that you do before games. You go out for the coin toss, you, you dap up each other. It takes all of 10 seconds to do. Even if you don't mean it, you just you smile, shake hands and flip the coin and you're done with it. And then you go out and try and, uh, you know, hand them their lunch. Uh, so personally, and eh, Baker probably should shake some hands, but because it's Baker and, and how he reacts and, and how he really thrives off of negative energy or adversaries or however you want to phrase it, Ross, I just got to say it's par for the course for him. See, Daryl, here's, here's the problem and, and the question for me. I understand that that's his style and that's what he does, but I'm having trouble remembering another successful quarterback in the NFL who hasn't been an adult. You know what I mean? Like, like even yeah. Brett Favre, at, at, he, they weren't really truly great until he got his work habits in order. Until he he even got some of the mechanics in order. Um, and, and and towards the end of his career, you saw him get get even better at some of the stuff that just came naturally. So, does Baker have the study habits and does he have the respect of his teammates enough to be great at this job? I think he does. And, you know, it, it's early to make any uh, judgments here. But, um, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger has held it against the Browns for 20 years that they didn't draft him. Um, and But every time they played, he was always respectful. He would shake hands. He would greet the coaches on the other sideline. He would even greet GMs that were with the Browns. So, uh, I certainly understand where people are coming from when they talk about Baker needs to grow up a little bit. You, you, we all, as adults, we do stuff that we don't necessarily like. We put on the happy face. We, we play along to get along. And I think that that's just an area Baker is not very good at. Um, he is just going to be who he is. He's going to tell you what's on his mind, whether you like it or not. And uh, whether or not that's to his detriment or not, um, I, it was interesting reading and in, uh, some of the quotes, seeing some of the video to come out of that 49ers locker room. Obviously, they took it very personally. I, listen, Kyle Shanahan took that game last night very, very personally. He didn't forget what happened in 2014 and uh, his exit from the Browns. Of course, he's the one that uh, led that exit with that uh, presentation to Mike Pettin. Uh, telling him 30 reasons why he didn't want to be the offensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns. But still, I mean, Kyle Shanahan last night held held a bit of a grudge. But again, you still saw him shaking hands when we spoke to him on the conference call. He had nothing but great things to say about the Browns organization, including Browns ownership, who was there when he was here and, uh, you know, part of the dysfunction that he dealt with. So sometimes you have to suck it up whether you want to do it or not. And you just you got to play the game. And Baker Mayfield doesn't strike me as a guy that really wants to play the game. 
Hey, Daryl, is Nick Bosa as good as we saw last night, or did the Browns' offensive line contribute to that? Because we're trying to figure out if that was a breakout for the number two pick overall. I, I think a combination of both. Um, you know, the, the offensive line for the Browns hasn't been great, but I don't think that they've been as horrible. I mean, Nick Bosa was dominating last night. Let's call it the way we saw it. He just absolutely destroyed the Browns. And that's the type of game, and I, I also said this this morning, that's the type of game the Browns need for Miles Garrett every week. You know, Garrett wants to be the player, the defensive player of the year, the best defender in the league. He is not Aaron Donald yet, and we haven't seen a performance like that out of him. I know his his uh, for, uh, last year in the season opener against the Steelers, he forced a couple of fumbles that ultimately led to, to that game being tied after overtime. Uh, we've, he had the three sack game earlier this year, but he also had a bunch of penalties against the jets. We've seen glimpses of dominance from miles Garrett, and certainly he's piling up the sacks. Don't want to take anything away from him, but we have not seen a game from him. Like we saw Nick Bosa, uh, put out there and just how he almost single handedly wrecked the Browns offense. Daryl, I'm curious. Uh, we're talking with Daryl Ryder uh, from the fan in Cleveland. I'm, I'm curious. The Bosa, uh, you know, fake uh, planting the flag. What, what's that like for the Browns fans that are also Ohio State fans? <laughs> I'm just curious as to how, how, how they've been reacting to that. Yeah, well, there are some fans that are still still not over Baker planting the flag at Ohio Stadium, and he's the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. So, um, first of all, I loved it. I thought it was great trolling on Nick Bosa's part. I mean, when you have a game like that, you earn the right to talk trash and do something like that. So, you know, from the outside looking in, watching that last night, I laughed. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was great. Not so great, obviously, for Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns, but um, I don't think that that sat too well with uh, Browns fans that are also Ohio State fans. But again, when you play that well, you earn the right to be able to do something like that. All right, last question. I got to circle back to something you said because I had not heard about this. You got to tell me the 30-point presentation. Like, what? Kyle Shanahan had a 30-point presentation to Mike Pettin for why he didn't want to be the offensive coordinator for the Browns anymore? Tell me about this. This is shocking, Ross. This is like one of the great moments in Cleveland Browns history in the expansion era. I mean, it's downright legendary what took place in 2014. From the homeless guy telling Jimmy Haslam to drafting Johnny Manziel to Jimmy Haslam actually drafting Johnny Manziel. <laughs> um, you know, so at the end of the season, and, and let's not forget in that, in that year as well, then general manager Ray Farmer ended up being suspended the first four games of the 2015 season for uh, texting to the sideline, which you're not allowed to do. Um, so... Basically, what happened was when the season was over, Kyle Shanahan had enough of the dysfunction and everything that was going on back then. And he basically gave Mike Pettin a 30-point presentation packet. Uh, the original story was PowerPoint, but Kyle said at the Super Bowl a couple years ago that it was not a PowerPoint presentation. It was just like a, a packet of like 30 reasons why he just wanted to get the hell out of Cleveland and did not want to be the offensive coordinator of the Browns again. So... Um, it, it is one of uh, many legendary stories of Cleveland Browns dysfunctional lore 
since 1999. For the record, things have calmed down a little bit. John Dorsey has really come in and kind of calmed a lot of that stuff down. And we don't see uh, all the infighting and, and leak sources on everything that's going on behind the scenes. But looking back on it now that we're, you know, four or five years removed by it, it is one of the epic Brown stories of all time. Yeah, I, I, I've heard several stories about that season and things that unfolded. And I can see why he wanted out when you're seven and four and the GM's mad at you because you're not playing Johnny Manziel uh, and you're seven yeah. and four. Daryl, really appreciate the time, man. Oh, always do a great job. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Check him out on Twitter. He does an excellent job. If you are into Cleveland sports or the Cleveland Browns, Number one, follow him on Twitter at RightOrWrongFAN. Number two, make sure you listen to the fan, 92.3 there in Cleveland, on the Radio.com app. Speaking of the fan, seems like a lot of cities, our stations are called the fan. That includes Dallas. The Fish, Mike Fisher, is always on top of the Cowboys, really better than anybody else in the business. We'll talk about those Cowboys. Man, they went from... The penthouse, I don't know if they're at the outhouse yet, but they went from real, real high to pretty low pretty quickly. Stick around. It's home and home on radio.com sports. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.